Welcome back to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hesha Montasir. You're listening to the second part of my conversation with Fadi Randur, founder of Aramex, and more recently, Wamda and Rawad, a development NGO in Jordan. If this is your first time tuning into our podcast, make sure you listen to part one of my conversation with Fadi, which you can find in any podcast player or on our website, thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. In part one, Fadi and I spoke about the origins of Aramex back in the 1980s and how it became a household name in the Arab world. Aramex was not built as a family company, and like many generational companies that stand the test of time, it was built to last. What is your definition of uh, built to last? Is it just simply number of, the number of years? Because you also have companies that are around 40 years that are a bit toxic. Let's be honest. We, we've seen them. We know them. So what, what, how do you define built to last? Built to last is a company that goes through turmoil and goes through the realities of the world because the world is not perfect. There is no single trajectory. The world goes up, goes down. There are wars, and specifically in this region, you know, there's a double whammy in this region. There's our own problems, and there's the global global problems. And this is a region dependent on oil. So uh, this is a company that was uh, an asset light company that existed in civil wars, thrived in civil wars, thrived in wars, stuck around in, in, in global wars, stuck around when the price of oil was down for $5, thrived when the price of oil was at $100, continued to uh, to provide services, continued to be profitable. There was not a single year that Aramex was not profitable since it went public, two, two years before it went public, until today, right? The profitability, I, I can claim that during my lifetime as a CEO of Aramex, the profitability increased every single year. Every single year. Yeah, this includes the financial crisis. I this includes uh, in financial crisis because we were an asset light the company. Financial the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. I need to write a book about. Yeah, I, I want to zoom into this. It's a critical story because Aramex's revenue went down 10%. By definition, slow down. Our, our net income went up 25%. Why? Because every supplier of ours was begging us for business. And when suppliers beg you for business, you are in command of what you want to pay for that space they're giving you. Airlines stood at our door saying, please, please, we have empty space on the airline, uh, on, on the aircrafts. Give us business. Uh, office space, you name it. Anybody you wanted to buy anything from. And so what happened? Our business went down 10%, but we didn't have any debt. We have cash in the bank, actually. We're cash rich. And, and, and we had business. And so we were able... So you you know, let me advantage. tell you something. Our biggest competitor, biggest competitor, without naming the name now, and people will know, came and said, we have space on our aircrafts. And this is the first time in my life I would get the competitor asking me if I'm interested in giving them cargo. Yes. Well, but I didn't give them cargo, but... <laughs> if we fast forward to the pandemic, which may have not been as severe or similar in some ways to the global financial crisis uh, post-Lehman, I remember a conversation with you and you, 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 you said very clearly, look, this is an opportunity for different businesses. Those that grab this now by the metal, this is an opportunity for expansion. If you have cash, 
go. So you clearly understood those points as pivotal in the growth of companies and leaders that have the ability to use that to their advantage. You never looked at it as a setback or as a, I mean, it's a challenge. Crisis. But you're right, cri yeah, the crises. So you clearly use crises as leaders, an opportunity. Leaders only become leaders in crisis. Yeah, it proves your mettle, essentially. You're, you're not needed in no crisis. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm generalizing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, a leader is, is, is a leader when, when, you wanna, when you're in the business of, of differentiation when you're in the business of innovation. And then innovation in its way is on a crisis story because, you know, when you innovate, you're competing. And in competition, right. there, is, there is that sense of anxiety about survival, about having to create something that's different. You're solving a problem. There's a crisis wherever you go. And so, and in these macro global crises, uh, that's where you know who's, who's Who's gonna stand out, and and which company is gonna stand out? So arguably, who, who, which company sticks around to, to its people? You talk about loyalty. You know, Aramex. I need to say that before you ask your next sure, question. Sure. Aramex's loyalty to its people is legendary, legendary. Hashem. In the financial crisis, we didn't fire a single person. During my tenure, I stuck around for a long time in this organization. There was never mass layouts. It's incredible. There was never any time <clears throat> that we said for us to improve our net income. You have I'm to gonna, reduce our cost by value. Uh, uh, while, while big companies globally, when they announce, oh, there's a crisis, uh, let's let off 10,000 people, and then their stock goes up. Uh, we, we never did that. You can, you can check anywhere. If you will never find Aramex saying, I'm laying off 10, 20% of my employees because there's a financial crisis. Because look, at the end of the day, uh, when you're an asset, light company, your assets are really only people. people yeah. When you have a culture of layoffs, your people that stick around are not going to be happy people. You know, they, they might tell you they're happy that you didn't lay them off. But bull, I don't buy that. Any person that feels that the guy sitting next to him was fired because of a financial crisis, then he's going to say, maybe next time it's going to be me. And so the loyalty becomes transitory. Meaning I'm as loyal, uh, I'm loyal as long as, as, as you're yeah. loyal back to me. Yeah. And I need to find another place maybe. And even in today's world, this generation that we live, that we are with today, I mean, they're extremely transitory. They'll move. Well, I was going to They never to stick around more than two years anyway. We can argue that today we are in some kind of crisis. Certainly we've had a massive retreat in the stock market. Tech, one could look at it as innovation is for sale, or you could look at it as now the post, um, you know, the new world. How are you looking at the this? The post-La La Land. Post-La Land. We were, we were living in La La Land. but we were in it for 10 years. 10, and 12 years. Happy. Since 12 the financial years. crisis. Must Money supply started being abundant. Money everywhere. Everybody made money for those 12 years, or most people did at least. And now you're in a new normal again. You are wearing a different hat today as a, a private investor, venture capitalist. How do you look at that post-Lala Land world? Hashem, uh, as I mentioned to you, I gave a talk uh, at the graduation the, at, at UC. Yeah, in Egypt. In, in Egypt, uh, American University of Cairo. And, and in my talk, um, I mean, I don't know how much they liked what I said. I basically told them, you are the, lucky, the lucky, luckiest class because you are experiencing 
a market crash. Was the previous generations that graduated from AUC only knew the moment. bubble. And so you're lucky because you're going to see a crash and that's where you're going to learn. I'm not sure how much they like that either. I'd be very that's where, you're, that's where you're going to learn. So I, I, I basically said to them, uh, I, I put my fists up in the air. I said, congratulations, you ran your 100 meter dash and you got there. But somebody comes in as you celebrate that 100 meters and whispers in your ear, this is a marathon. Keep running, right? And so I, I don't think they were, were, were interested in that, but so that's what <laughs> I'm telling every single... I was going to ask you, what are you telling your founders? So now? the skill set of founders, unfortunately, uh, and again, maybe people will not like what I'm saying, the skill set of founders, Hashem, in the past 12 years, unfortunately, was a skill set of exponential growth in top line. You didn't need to be skilled in anything else. Yeah, obviously, you need to build the product. You need to be a technology person. You need to uh, candy, be an so entrepreneur. But for you, your uh, investors gave you money and go prove that you can actually have buyers for this product and they're going to come back. And, you know, uh, how much is it going to cost you to acquire a client, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody was telling them, here's how to manage a P&L in tough times. Here's how to cut costs. Here's how to be frugal. Here's how to think that 100, 200, 300, 500 b b billion percent growth in your top line does not matter if, if there comes a time when you don't have to act cash to actually survive. Right. And so the skill set of these entrepreneurs is a different skill set. Even investors' skill set is different. We need to revisit uh, that and we need to stop this silly celebration, including myself, over-celebrating entrepreneurs because they raised money. Who the heck? cares that you raise money. It's how you are going to use that money and execute on it and stretch it as long as you can so that you can actually eventually be profitable and sustainable and prove that your business is sustainable. You know, I don't want you to deliver a billion packages a day in, in, in five seconds and lose money on every single package. There's no, there's no genius in it. So what are you looking for today, Fadi? Well, if I'm a founder, I'm coming to you today as Wamda or as Fadi Gandur as an investor. What are you looking for? Are you looking so, for Hashem being that guy that has that tenacity and grit and understands the postal land market? Or are you looking for, what are you looking for versus what uh, you're looking uh, for two years ago? I'm still looking for a lot of stuff. I need to look at an entrepreneur. I need to look at a person, a team. Uh, we need to look at people who understand why they're raising money. What are they going to do with that money? And I need, to, I need to also know that this individual is a listener. Is willing to listen, wants to engage. Uh, doesn't think he's a genius, doesn't want to celebrate early, doesn't want to exit early, is not talking to me about, you know, hit and run, uh, and, and doesn't want to go uh, uh, into a trance uh, uh, because he's been able to grow 20, 30 percent uh, and over-celebrate himself and everybody giving him awards. So what's going to happen to uh, those uh, entrepreneurs? Uh, they, 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 they are raised uh, money two, three years now ago. Now we will know who's going to make it. Uh, now we'll know who's going to make it. You know, in crisis is when you, again, back to the story of leadership. Le companies that have leaders, that understand the complexity, that understand crisis, that understand what it takes to build the business on the long run, and luck also. You know, those that have raised money right before the crisis, have some now cash. we will know how they're going to use that money 
to actually uh, 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 get to the uh, safe harbor. But they now also have to exercise something almost none of them, and I'm putting myself in that, over the last 12 years have seen, which is you have to be patient. This is, this is a market that has conditioned us that exits are going to happen within two years. My valuation will quadruple every other year simply by some revenue growth without any other metric, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, I have to look at five and 10 and 15 years. Will, will that couple of entrepreneurs be able to adjust to that reality? The entrepreneurs that raised money without revenue at $100 million are, are, are delusional. Okay? Some of them are my friends. Without <laughs> my friends too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you are, you've, you've overdone it uh, because- uh, Is it know, their fault? The market was pushing them. Partly their fault. If they were in the business of listening, they wouldn't have fallen into the trap of saying, you know, I'm, I'm gonna raise and raise and raise and raise at different valuations. And I've still haven't proven that uh, I, I give people products at, 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 zero, uh, at zero cost. So again, that's, that's, that doesn't tell me anything about you. It tells me that there's an investor that thinks that you can get that done. And if you don't get it done, you're going to go bankrupt. And so com many companies are going to cease to exist. We've written off uh, several companies in, in our portfolio, even the ones that still have some money. But uh, again, you are going to have to have products that, are, that clients pay for. But Fadi, this free products don't prove anything. I, and I'm not raining on their parade, but some of the most celebrated startups in this region and other regions uh, in the last mile space and other spaces never had unit economics that ever made sense. And yet they were acquired for billions of dollars and they're still around. Some of them, some of them are not lucky. Yeah. Now they will have to prove that the unit economics works, right? If they want to continue growing or else yeah, investors will pull at, the plug. Uh, at Uber. Look at if, if you listen to Dara, uh, the CEO of Uber, I do, and listen to his talks to investors, look and and follow what he tells his his team. Talks about sustainability, profitability. Yeah. I mean, this is real talk. But Dara is also he's not the founder. He's, I mean, he's old, coming he's, to fix. He's a pro. Yeah, to fix the problem. He this is, is a the guy pro. that has seen it elsewhere. He is a pro. Take take that as an example of what the rest of the region needs to do. He's a pro. So. No fluff, no, no, uh, you know, it's not a time for us to play around, you know, cash is investors' money, we're a public organization. Even if you're not a public organization, I mean, VC money is, is, is public money, effectively. It's not the time for you to do that. And, you know, there are, uh, it's good to have failures. Uh, the, it means the region is succeeding, uh, maturing, I should say. Uh, when you have failures, it's maturing. You will have second-time entrepreneurs, third-time entrepreneurs, and you will have lots of lessons learned. And that's what I was telling the, the graduating class at AUC. That's where the learning happens. You know, you're in, in, in these crashes, you're, you're, you're experiencing new things that matter in how you build your business uh, as you build it today because you will face another crash. You, it, you will have another boom and another crash. And, you know, going through the experience is a must for you to understand what to do when it comes next time. One of the key technological innovations that have seen mainstream adoption as a direct result of the pandemic has been Web 3.0, which encompasses the blockchain, cryptocurrency, decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs, and so on. 
Web 3.0 is also pushing the boundary when it comes to the creator economy, away from the big tech platforms and onto the hands of creators, essentially our hands. Why Fadi is extremely bullish about Web 3.0 is on the other side of this short break, so stay with us. Welcome back. You're listening to the second part of my conversation with Fadi Ghandour. We've had the, the Web 1.0, 2.0, the internet software, and now a lot of people are talking about Web 3.0, talking about cryptocurrency, blockchain. Do you think that within this post La La Land period, there will be more of the same or crucially new uh, technology that will emerge at the forefront? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a deep believer in Web, web 3. I'm a deep believer. And do you web. believe really it will be decentralized, as people say? Or again, you will have four or five dominant companies I don't know, that will control I don't know how it's going to evolve. Uh, the, 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 the jury is out. The debate is uh, everywhere. Uh, but I'm a believer in, 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 in crypto in general. I'm, I'm a believer in, in blockchain and building... Decentralization? Complete decentralization. DAOs and, and decentralization and the democratization that comes with that and the empowerment of of that single entity, single individual, et cetera, in, in these decentralized entities. Absolutely, uh, Hashem. So this, think this is, is like, think of it this way, you know, we, we need to take, uh, for those of us that grew up with the emergence of the internet, all the questioning that are today happening, and some of the same people that question the internet are questioning the Web 3.0. You know, I remember very clearly people saying, who's going to buy anything online? You're right. Well, everyone is going to buy stuff online. That 1997, 98, 99, uh, people thought it was not going to happen. You're and right. so Web3 emerges from the fire of the crash to prove itself. And I would watch the next five years who's going to survive and how this new technology is going to re reinvent yeah. the space completely. There's a point here to be made about timing. Some of these technologies were early in the previous era, and those who were very early didn't survive. I, only the second and third iteration survived. So as an investor today, when you're wearing this hat, are you looking and screening and saying only Web 3.0 and blockchain, or are you saying, no, I have to mix and match because ultimately I might be five years or 10 years too early and those companies run out of ammunition? Well, that that goes that? back to patience and, and sticking around as an investor. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm not a day trader. Well, there's day trader and there's 10 years. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, well, you know, that's how you look at it. You stick around. Yeah. Keep investing. I, I can't say, you know, I'm going to wait five years. I don't know. You don't know. I'm going to invest now. I'm going to invest tomorrow. And I'm going to continue investing. And, and some of these companies will emerge. Just like I did in Maktoub in 1997. Yeah, you were investing personally very early. I mean, nobody thought. Very I mean, people, no, it, people did. You were known for this. The you questions had a, a, a then, Hashim, in 1997, 98, were who invests in the Arab world in the internet anyway? Why? why Maktoub, Souk, all of these companies. Yeah. And then Souk, obviously, you know, Souk sat on top of, of Aramex's shoulders because Aramex was like, invented cash on delivery in the region to deliver for e-commerce. So you saw it. We didn't you see it. We trend. built the infrastructure of Aramex. Yeah. I mean, for it, absolutely, because yeah. we 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 had vision. Okay.
Okay, and let me put it simply. We no, no. Und I understood that. We understood the power of the internet very early on in Aramics. You know, Shop and Chip, the uh, ultimate Aramics innovation. 100%. Invented buying online in the region. I need to say a bold statement. We made it happen. We told people, you want to buy online? I'm going to get you an address in the US. I'm going to get you a way to pay because people didn't use their credit cards and US uh, Amazons of this world in the US did not take non-US non credit cards. We solved that problem. I mean, that's the entrepreneurial story. We solved that problem, made it available for these people and generated hundreds of thousands of packages for Aramex and it became the most successful product in the history of the company that sticks around today. You know, Aramex is business during the pandemic because of shop and ship. Right. Oh my God. How do you position yourself today to be in, 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 in that seat again? Because you're a savvy investor. I think people know this about you. Obviously, you see a lot of things coming at you. There are companies that's called them, and I'm not belittling them by saying that, that are copycats in the sense that this is something that we've seen elsewhere, predominantly Western, some Asian markets as well, and it comes to us, and they do okay. But then there may be some things that will actually genuinely grow up in the region as new innovations. What make, puts you in a position today to spot those trends? I, I, you know, by being an investor at all times and being and, and, and Just keep at it. You keep at it. You can't take a break. You can't say, um, um, you know, the crisis now, I'm going to not stick around. What happens is you change the way you invest. You're much more disciplined. And all this fluff that says, I am raising a pre-seed round at $15, $20 million. is like, you know, this is la-la land time. Uh, the, we are no longer living in that time. Dump your la-la land mentality. And don't come to me with ideas that are worth $15 million unless you are reinventing something that is global and you're a scientist. And maybe I can believe in that. But uh, all of these pre-seed rounds that are crazy in valuations, we're disciplined about it. And we will miss some. Uh, and that's okay. And, and I keep saying, you know... Even a year ago, I remember having a conversation with you. Uh, and you were like, I'm out of... I can't, I can't, I can't put money uh, I in I can't this. and I can't compete, actually. Yeah. There's, there's money from VCs that want... And fast money as well. Uh, fast money. They want to compete amongst each other. Every VC wants to take the round for themselves. They'll pay you an extra couple of million dollars on your valuation to stick around for them. Nice. I am not going to be in that business. I, I'm, I'm, I want to be disciplined. Um, if I miss on some... So what? That's, uh, I will not miss on others. And so, and I will tell every investor, every VC, just stop this silly competition uh, on, and, and, and inflating valuations because it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt the startups. It's going to hurt the ecosystem. And, and uh, when the crash comes, uh, there's going to be a lot of pain. And so being disciplined uh, is essential. And, you know, I, I was part of that original story of, of you know, investing where uh, at valuations, but that was the, the name of the game. And that's why I'm saying it's good to have this slowdown because everybody needs to appreciate uh, that currency that they have so that it stretches as long as possible, including VCs. Because if you don't prove that you have a good track record as a VC, in your exits, in returning money. This is not paper valuations. You have to return money to your investors. Your next time, your investors next time are not going to give you money. And, and within that, Fed, you're a, uh, an Arabist in many ways. Uh, you know, believe Absolutely. in a pan-Arab model of sorts. 
um, we have seen different clusters coming up. In America, you have Silicon Valley. Maybe now you have New York and right. Los Angeles and others, but Silicon Valley is at the core of it. Yes. Similar in India, similar in China, etc. Totally. Dubai has emerged, obviously, at the forefront of a lot of entrepreneurship. Do you think we are, Dubai is the equivalent of a Silicon Valley in the Middle East? What about other countries, Saudi, Egypt, that are, you would think they will compete, they will coexist, they will complement each other? What do you foresee? Well, one, I see complementarity at all times. So I don't, you know, there's a bit of competition, obviously, that we which all know healthy, about. Which is healthy. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But Dubai has emerged and the UAE has emerged as a trendsetter and as a bit of a step ahead because it views the geography a bit differently. So there is that wider geography that that this this city looks at, and it has understood that a long time ago. Uh, and I keep repeating that story. Just look at the flight schedule of Emirates Airlines and see where it flies daily uh, in emerging markets, and you will know the power of this hub. So this is not a hub that serves the Middle East, the Arab world. It's a hub that serves uh, $3, 4000000000 billion in emerging markets. If you look at the people that move to Dubai, from Asia during the pandemic, if you look at the people that moved to Dubai from the region during the pandemic, it's because uh, Dubai and the UAE have understood the sophistication and, and the importance of staying a step ahead, the entrepreneurial mentality of Dubai. That said, how can I differentiate myself to make myself global as a city, to attract global investors, global talent, global capabilities, and cater for their needs, not in the quality of life only, but in the quality of the infrastructure and in a, an ecosystem that you benefit from on a global basis when you mix, because ecosystems are about, you know, by the definition, eco means people are interacting together. And so when somebody moves from Singapore or from Hong Kong to Dubai, he's, they're saying, this is a city that I can be based on and do business globally. And that's the differentiation of the city. And so it's not necessarily competing, it's can, differentiating. Can I just add something here? I apologize for interjecting. No. How much was the pandemic crucial to that? Because, At the core. Yeah. Again, back to the crisis the story. The brand equity really the was boosted. The power of yeah. leveraging Same. crisis to differentiate yourself is when you become a leader. So as a city, as a as country, a state, as, as a, a leader, as an individual, as a CEO, as anything. In crisis is when people start trusting you, believing in you, and moving into you as a city, as a country, as, as a region, as a community. So assuming we're now post-pandemic, we are now reaping the benefits and the dividends of their leadership during this crisis? Uh, and, and every, yes, uh, and, and every place that has proven it's, it's worth and its differentiation and its understanding uh, of, of the complexity of crisis uh, appreciates that they're, they're showing their leadership at, at that time. And if you go globally during this, this pandemic, you will understand that. Why are people moving to Miami in the US? Why? Miami is not known for its tech. No. It's the center of, of crypto now. Correct. And so uh, there's a reason. There's uh, whether you agree with the mayor there or not is a different story. story. The uh, I'm not going to get into the politics the of it, but in crisis you see the opportunity. And those uh, leaders that view crisis uh, as a place where there is opportunity are the ones that uh, uh, and act on it. So this, you know, action is at the core of it, and act on it, and have a team 
that are actually in, in, in sync and in tune and are runners because leaders alone don't do things by themselves. They are, they are, they, they, they are like conductors. They say, crisis, boys, let's take advantage of it. And the boys run and the girls, so not only boys, boys and girls run and actually say, we are here and we understand what has, what has come to us. You know, saying the crisis came to us as a gift. Let's make it happen. I have one final question, Fadi, this has been fascinating. Um, so many things came up about sort of the value of leadership and the type of leadership you've had in your life. If you would distill it to one single quality or one single attribute, what would it be? I have my own term, but I'm, I'm curious about your view. Is it the grit? Is it the optimism? Is it the curiosity? Is it, I mean, if I would only tell you, give me one over, overriding attribute that you feel in your career has propelled you, what is it? It's very simple in my mind. Uh, it is promising the people that are with you that you're going to deliver a better future and you actually do. It's a delivery process. It's pr but there promise, are attributes promises. that go into delivering this. This does not happen by itself. What is the main attribute here? Sorry, I'm pushing you. The, no. I'm curious. Yani, for you to deliver this, fine. That is the promise you've given. For you to deliver this, you should be a person, an individual that actually is at the forefront of that delivery process. So I am I'm hands-on, I'm on the front line, I'm showing the way, I'm not leading from behind. When I say I'm going, I, I need this organization to go in this direction, I'm the first one to go there. And uh, the pain, the tears, the blood, the sweat, I'm, as a leader, the first one to actually show that it is on me. And so for them to believe, they have to see that this guy is actually uh, fighting the fight, fighting the battle, fighting the war from the front lines. Can't think of a better ending. Fadi, thank you for your time. Pleasure. It's been riveting. It was lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hashem. As Fadi mentioned, the UAE and Dubai in particular successfully leveraged opportunities that came out of the pandemic to attract tourists, new residents, but also really double down on entrepreneurship. To hear a little bit more about this and gain insights into Dubai's approach to crisis management, go to my conversation with Assam Qasim, CEO of Dubai Tourism. I promise it's a great episode and Assam is very persuasive. Thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations. I'm your host, Hashem Montasser. We're produced by Chirag Desai, and our content director is Farah Sharif. You can connect with us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore ee and listen to any of our previous episodes by visiting thelighthouse.ee slash podcast or just press the follow button on any of the podcast players you use, Apple, Google, Spotify, or Anghemi. We'll see you again in two weeks.